0: there's a a long arc of a story here now that golf courses have really understood and embraced the role that they can play in healthier environments, um, the role that they can uh, hopefully play in climate change. Um, We're going to continue to invest. We're going to continue to work really hard in these areas. You know, people like you that help us tell the story, but also that push and challenge um, Mm -hmm. the the owners and operators where they play. This is what's going to drive change for our community. It's going to take a, A continued community investment in these interests, education uh, about the opportunities, and will drive change. We we are uh, confident that we can deliver.
1: Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders who are making an impact in their businesses. Each leader is solving complex challenges and providing solutions within their respective areas
0: of expertise. Our host is Sean Grady. He is passionate about helping clients transform their businesses and solving their environmental challenges. And here's our host, Sean Grady.
1: Rand Jeris, uh thank you for joining the Environmental Transformation podcast, and welcome.
0: Thank you, thank you. My pleasure to be with you, Sean. Thanks so much.
1: You bet. Uh, I'm going to give the listeners a little uh, update or a bio, actually, on you, uh, Rand. You're uh, the U.S. you know uh, U.S.G.A.'s uh, senior managing director of public services, and you oversee a variety of functions, including the research, science, and innovation. Uh, and the USGA Green Section, uh, the USG Golf Museum, the Regional Affairs, and some strategic planning. Sounds like sounds like you've got a lot of, on your plate there. Uh, and you also are an author. You've got, I think, uh, two or two or three books out there on, on the topics of golf and maybe some golf course design and the old uh, um, the legends of the play of the the players back in the day. Um, I haven't seen those yet, but I'm excited to check check them out. Thank you. Yeah,
0: it's uh it's an interesting job, interesting set of responsibilities that I have. I really got started as a as a college student working at the USGA in the museum. Uh oh. was an art an art history major interested in maybe museum career and museum studies and ended up on the history side, but uh, I was also a geology geosciences major focused on environmental geology.
1: Oh, okay. Um, Perfect. And
0: my, my career path at the USGA is sort of curiously combined both those interests in history and environmental issues um through the years. And and while they're very diverse, my responsibilities in some ways sort of reflect a little bit of my background.
1: Uh, so you know. I I, uh, was looking on the website, doing some research. Uh, You guys uh, have got a nice little program started. uh, And what I've been reading about is a lot of your interest in digital innovation and big Mm -hmm. data and how that's really helping the game and helping the USGA, you know, advance some environmental sustainability practices. So I wanted to kind of dive into that. And uh, so, you know, the USGA has uh, looked towards uh, technology and, and to help the, become more sustainable, both economically and environmentally. So what types of technologies are the USGA working with to achieve its goals of, you know, more holistic uh, approach to, to the game of golf?
0: Sure. So I think the most interesting thing that we're developing is, is an app um, that really creates a digital map of a golf course uh, that we can start to layer information into that map about, you um, Course maintenance, maintenance practices um, and critical resource consumption uh, issues and opportunities. Um, so we'll literally take a satellite image of a golf course, create a, a digital map of all of the features on the golf course, breaks that golf course map into into discrete polygons. And each polygon can be assigned data that starts with identifying what it is. Is it a bunker, a green, a tee? Is it fairway? Is it rough? Um, And then the course operator can start to layer in all of the resources that they're using to maintain that golf course. How much water are they putting down, nutrients, pesticides, um, energy? Uh, consumption, Mm -hmm. labor consumption. And you can start to understand how each feature of the golf course uh, consumes resources. Mm -hmm. And then enable a whole series of like, I'll call them what-if scenarios. What if I were to redraw or redefine the shape of the green or extend the fairway or narrow the fairway? And it will instantly recalculate Um, based on your maintenance practices, your consumption of a specific resource. So if you've got a challenge or a problem and say, look, our water district wants to reduce, um, you know, responsibly reduce our water consumption by 20%, I can now engage in a series of, uh, with the app, I can start to redraw that map of my golf course and instantly determine and identify how much resource calculation is going on. So that's that's a fun little tool. We then layer that with GPS work. It's really mm. interesting. Mm-hmm. So we will send a kit of 100 GPS devices. There's a, the size of a book of matches. Uh, mm-hmm. Every golfer puts them in their pocket and it measures their location in time and space every five seconds. We download that at the end of your round and we can see exactly where you've been on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Now layer that for 100 golfers over the course of a day, you get this map of spaghetti strings, colored sure. spaghetti strings over the golf course. But what it shows you is where golfers are playing, And where they're not playing from. And so you may find that element of the golf course that you're putting a lot of water into, that you're putting energy into, that you're putting labor into, but in fact, nobody's playing there. Nobody hits it there. Right. Um. And we do this over the course of a week and you really get a, a real strong map that shows you how a golf course landscape is actually being used. Now, intersect that with your polygons, with your map of how resources are being consumed mm-hmm. and we can instantly find opportunities to reduce um, resource consumption.
1: Wow. So how did you guys come up with that idea to start that with the, you know, the, yeah. the GPS re- review, you know, research and yep. the polygon? How did that happen? I mean, how did that, ha- I mean, how did yep. that come about?
0: Yeah, so we, we actually started all of this by studying slow play, um, pace of oh, play, wow. the time it takes yeah. for a golfer to move around a golf course. We wanted to, because it's one of the big challenges the game has. Like right. in today's time compressed um, uh, society, people don't have time for five or six hour round of golf. No, um, no. no. Golf used to be four hours or at nine holes, you know, it it can be a 90-minute, but you run into, you run into traffic control problems on the golf course. We wanted to understand where bottlenecks were happening on the golf course. And so so we got to understand how a golfer is moving. So that's where we started using the GPS initially was simply to study pace of play. And then as we started to create these maps of golfer movement, we all started to say, wait a minute, this is telling us something really different. This is really highlighting for us. You know another the bunker, yeah. Another right? another component. So oh, okay, wow. now how do we intersect this? So we found it, and then we found a a, a partner who's working with us that had digital maps of thirty five thousand golf courses around the world, mm-hmm. um, and we took that as sort of our base layer, and then started to build uh, the technology on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you put these together and you find some great opportunities. Um, there's some interesting learnings too, like things you wouldn't expect the most for per square foot. The most expensive piece of a golf course to maintain is a bunker. <laughs> that guy's like, really? Okay, it's, all, it's a hole in the ground.
1: I filled with that. sand
0: Yeah. labor. It is incredibly uh, labor intense.
1: Keep them, keep them. You right. know.
0: Yep. So now we, yep. Yeah. Yep. But and where, where I think the tool from an environmental perspective, I think there's probably two really significant developments that are emerging. Um, uh-huh. The first is uh, when we can take maintained turf out of maintenance. Right. So um, a lot of golf courses are irrigating in the rough. They're putting fertilizer down in the rough. They're mowing in the rough. So there's energy, there's labor, there's water, there's right. And anytime you mm-hmm. water grass, anytime you—it's like—it's what we've learned the course of our research for a hundred years. If you water grass, it grows, right? Sure. So Absolutely. this fundamental cycle of putting water down creates this whole series of resource resources that are used. If we can get you to stop mowing that grass, because no one's actually hitting it there, right? We can achieve really significant advances on um, on resource consumption. Water, so yeah, yep. So we're really focused on taking water out of play, and then we're helping golf courses um, uh, use the tool to reduce water consumption. Cause that's, um, I, I you know, I think the biggest threat to the game sustainability, one of our great environmental challenges of our generation is water, yeah. um, supplies of water and golf courses. Quite honestly, we've been addicted to water through the years. We need to reduce that dependency on critical water resources. This becomes a great tool for allowing us to do that.
1: Well, you know, water consumption, there's, there's a lot there with that topic, but, uh, you know, I play a lot of golf myself, uh, my daughter played golf in high school. Got to you know be a coach and really enjoy the game. You know if the golf courses would focus, uh, it would think I would think if they just focus on watering the fairways and the mm-hmm. greens, and not worried about the rough. You know the rough is kind of a penalty almost anyways. If you if you yep. don't hit it accurate, so that would probably just really reduce the amount of water consumption by just kind of focusing on those narrow aspects of, you know, watering the the, yep. the, you know, the course, right?
0: Yep, yep. That, that That's exactly right. And we, we can go into, what we're finding with the tool, we can go into almost any golf course and take 20 to 30 acres of turf out of maintenance. Wow. Um, and if you're maintaining 80, 60 to 80 acres, you're talking about very quickly a 25, 30, 40% reduction in resources Um, just from using the tool for two weeks. And that's, that's really pretty exciting.
1: So, so how does a course go about, you know, trying to understand this information? Do they reach out to you guys and then, and then you guys just like send those little GPS units out to them, to the golf shop and they, you know, everybody who signs up uh, to play around, they say, here, put this in your pocket and Mm -hmm. send it, give it back to us when you're done, you know, type thing. Yep,
0: that, that's basically how it works. So we have, um, in addition to simply being able to send out the devices, the mm-hmm. USGA has agronomists, uh, usually PhD agronomists, um, trained in agronomic turf grass issues, also environmental issues, um, called our, it's our course consulting service. And they will go out and spend a half a day or a full day at a facility. To get full advantage of the tool and the GPS information, sometimes you need an expert to come in and, and help you out. And mm-hmm. we'll do that with them. We'll send an agronomist. Um, for the day, um, really understand where their challenges are, run the tool, um, for a week or two weeks and then help them interpret the data and start talking about changes and improvements that they can make.
1: So I was looking, uh, uh, I was reading through on the website about this tool and and it really was fascinating, but also I kind of took away some things that it also brought, uh, brought to light, which was, you know, the areas that have super high traffic that Mm -hmm. need, you know, constant, you know, attention. And, you know, basically, you know, investment into, you know, infrastructure within the, uh, the course itself. So it seemed like that was another highlighted benefit of seeing, OK, these are my high traffic areas. I don't need to spend yeah. as much money doing something over here when this is where my big problems are.
0: Yep. Yep. And look, and, and layer that. So you've get traffic patterns. And then mm-hmm. we're doing quite a bit of research these days on, I'm going to call it the golfer experience. Mm-hmm. What are all these things that layer into your experience as a golfer on the golf course to say, wow, that was a great round of golf, a great experience or a terrible experience. And golfers want their putting greens to be in really good condition. Yeah, they want their yeah. tees to be in really good condition. And other than that. It's nice if the fairways are mowed, but tees and greens. So if you layer what the consumer is telling you with what the data is telling you, you start to have some powerful insights into how you can manage your resources and your golf course differently than you had in the past.
1: I like a good bunker that's in decent shape too. If I do hit it in there, because usually I'll find that a lot of the bunkers aren't in good shape. Aren't (laughs) in good shape. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, they're not like uh, PGA tour quality. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) And then look, then they look, you say that there's one of the big challenges. I think that the typical golf course faces is that the typical golfer consumer that watches golf on the weekend sees a PGA tour golf course. It's, beautiful. It's immaculate. It's green. It's pristine. Without understanding all of the work that goes into getting that golf course ready for one week to peak for four days takes an incredible planning effort and, Mm -hmm. and a lot of focus and a lot of resources. But if golfers don't understand that, they say, well, if the tour can do it every week, why can't my local golf course offer me that experience throughout the whole playing season. Mm -hmm. So the expectations of the consumer have sort of risen. I often talk about the worst thing that happened to golf is the confluence of golf and color television. (laughs) Um, Because now golfers see green golf courses and, uh, and that's what they want and expect their superintendent to deliver. Well, that is economically and environmentally unsustainable to have that expectation for a golf course, six months a year. It's just not going to happen.
1: Right. Right. Well, so some of the other advances that I've seen in, in, you know, the few past few years is GPS and mobile apps and being able to do distance monitoring from, you know, any golf course. Mm-hmm. That I think that's really helped um, a lot of average golfers in the business or, you know, in, in the community mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. and, and uh, how, how has the USGA, you know, been hel- you know helping golf courses get their courses, I guess, measured or, or do you, or is this more of a, Uh, GIS, GPS type uh, other system like from Google that barely puts this together. I'm not sure. How does that work?
0: That's really separate and independent um, from the USGA. Um, The the best role that we've probably played in enabling that is changing the rules of golf. Mm -hmm. Um, So in rules parlance, they're called distance measuring devices, DMDs. And for a long time, it was thought by traditionalists in the game that one of the skills that should be expected of the golfer is the ability to judge distance. Yeah, And so we disallowed distance measuring devices, um, in the rules of golf. So you couldn't post a score for handicap purposes. Certainly in a competition, you couldn't use one. Um, that's changed. Um, you know, because you know, while the electronic tool may not have been available, there were always yardages marked on sprinkler heads or yeah. white stakes in the and fa- the edge yeah, of the fairway. Stakes, right. It's so, like you know what that information's readily available. We can actually improve pace of play and the experience of the golfer by allowing them to use these devices. So we softened our position on that, um, but it's really the vendors. You know, the individual vendors. It's a sort of private um, private sector. Uh, technological development. So we haven't been in, we haven't been in it on the technology side, but um, we've certainly changed our outlook and philosophy on them to enable changes in, in the way that golfers can use these devices.
1: So you talk a little bit about the green section um, course consulting services. So mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that. And what does, what type of services does that group offer you know, sure.
0: for, for the normal?
1: Yeah. Owner.
0: yeah. So exciting for us. We're celebrating a hundred years of the green section this year. So wow. the USGS wow. green section was founded in 1920. Okay. Um, so we've been in this sort of environmental space for a hundred years. Um, wow. you know, uh, While many industries have just sort of found the value of, of being green from a marketing perspective or Mm -hmm. even from a sustainability and operations perspective, we've, we've been in this space for a hundred years with the game and, um, and I think through that time have provided a lot of value. The green section originally started um, with a focus on uh, developing um, best practices and new varieties of turf grass to Mm -hmm. create better playing services and 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 uh, a better experience for the golfer. Um what's fun about that is our, our original uh testing was done at the Arlington Turf Gardens in Arlington, Virginia, okay. now home to the Pentagon. Oh, so wow, where okay. the Pentagon sits today was actually built on the site of the USGA's original turf grass plots back in 1920. Oh, nice. Um and we have almost continuously for 100 years uh supported um innovation in turf grass science. Um almost uh any Uh, one who has a front lawn, a front yard, or a backyard that you mow and maintain, the grass that's in your lawn was probably developed by with money and support that came from the USGA through the years. Um, We have invested heavily in identifying strains of turf grass. And and again, initially it was about providing a better playing surface. Mm -hmm. Um, But beginning in about the 1970s, that research program started to evolve and become as much environmentally focused as it was on playing conditions. Um, Varieties of turf grass that require uh, fewer inputs because they're disease resistant, because they're drought tolerant, um, because they're salt water tolerant. So there's new uh-huh. grasses out there. Uh, seashore paspalum grass is now being, uh, been been developed to the point where it can be used on a golf course and be salt water tolerant. Um, yeah. Wastewater, recycled water, you know, is has high salinity content, yeah. and a lot of grasses can't can't withstand um, recycled water. Well, past ballum grass can handle that salinity content. Um, So we're working, uh, we work through major land grant universities around the country and their turf grass breeding programs to identify and develop better turf grasses that can be used not just on golf courses but on again on your front yard, um, in community parks, on soccer fields and baseball fields. USGA grasses are in NFL stadiums and major league mm-hmm. baseball stadiums. Um, we do a lot of work. And I think that turf grass program has been really important for the game. So I, I'd start there and I'd highlight that. Um, what we learn through our research programs um, is to set through our education program, so the green section has three primary components: turfgrass research, education program, and the course consulting service. So, information gets to the field through our education program. Um, most visibly, it's our green section record. We have a digital newsletter that goes out every two weeks. Mm-hmm. It has content that's customized for each region of the country. Okay. Um, understanding what's been going on with weather issues or particular past challenges that have arisen, and providing practical advice that course managers, owners, operators can use to maintain their golf courses better. Uh, We do a lot of educational programming. Um, And then this final piece is the Course Consulting Service, originally called the Turf Advisory Service. That started in 1951. Um, So that is nearing 70 years of, of CCS. Um, being a tool for the golf community. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we have agronomists around the country. They'll, they'll go and spend a half a day or a full day working with a golf course superintendent, a green committee, a club president, um, consulting on particular issues. And, and it could be something like developing a master plan for that golf courses that sort of moves them into a, into a place where they're just providing better playing conditions or they're dealing with uh, uh they're addressing their desires to be more environmentally responsible. It could be an immediate problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of problems in the Northeast this year because of pretty severe drought um, in New England um, through this fall or through the summer, translated to a lot of turf loss Mm -hmm. um, in the fall. And these courses need sort of immediate help Um, The superintendent doesn't always, you know, doesn't necessarily have the experience, uh, the breadth of knowledge. We deal with thousands of golf courses a year, and that collective knowledge can inform uh, best practices for moving forward. So um, it's really those three channels where we, where we deliver sort of support, then you mentioned it earlier, so let me touch on it, complementary to the green section is our research, science and innovation team. Um, and that was a new group we spun up at the USA about five or six years ago, which is really a sort of R&D group. Um, they started with Pace of Play. Um, The Mm -hmm. pace of play problem, they're the ones that really developed the golf course tool that we've been talking about. They're the ones that brought in um, the GPS units. Um, Their challenge is an opportunity really is to sort of leverage data and technologies to find ways to improve the game. So Mm -hmm. broadly, they look at a broad set of issues, but naturally their work aligns very closely with the work of the green section. Um, and we've brought those two teams really sort of together and into alignment. So they're reinforcing one
1: another. So is your um, resource management program there? Is that something you guys developed internally in-house? I mean, you got your own developers uh, and your own, you know, people doing the whole conceptual design on that?
0: Yeah, we, uh, we have the scientists in-house and on the team, um, Mm -hmm. to bring the expertise to it. We have a developer, um, on staff, um, to help develop the technology. A lot of the coding on some of these tools actually gets done offshore, um, as, as everyone does. So we don't have a room full of coders, um, but they actually, they're in Romania these days. Um, a lot of great coding work is being done there, but, um, uh, really management and oversight development of the tool, all that sort yeah. of coming coming from the
1: USGA. Sure, sure. Well, so um, <clears throat> what a, what type of partnerships do you guys have with universities on the turf graphs thing? I, I mean, I'm I'm yeah. from Indiana and so I'm just down the road from Purdue and I know they've got a yep. pretty nice uh, agronomy uh, program there, turf management system. And I think Pete Dye has been a, a big supporter of that organization there and developed mm-hmm. and actually designed a few golf courses up there. So, Talk about, uh, you know, what that looks like for you guys in partnerships.
0: Yeah. So um, the longest sort of history uh, of the partnerships with the universities has really come through, we call it TERP, the Turfgrass and Environmental Research Program. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it really is, is it's a, uh, a grant program um, where uh, annually we have a, a, a research, well, there's a small committee. Um, of turf grass experts and golf experts from around the country, mm-hmm. that each year uh, meet a couple times a year, set priorities for the program, um, and some of those may be turf grass breeding opportunities. Some of those may be about sort of pest control uh, and disease uh, opportunities. Um, we may be looking at we've been we focused turf for a couple of years now just on water, uh-huh. specifically gave them the challenge to say the, the golf community needs to reduce its consumption of water by 25%. How do we do that? This simply through turf grass. Uh-huh. Um, we give them specific challenges. Uh, basically an RFP goes out to the turf grass community. Uh, we'll take in proposals and then we fund the proposals that we think are most promising. All of that research is carried out, Um uh, by the breeding programs or by the turf grass programs um, at universities around the countries. And they, they, they span, uh, they do span the breadth of the country because we want to understand uh, geographic regional issues, regional challenges, uh, turf issues. Um, uh, And then we sort of closely monitor and then publish the results Um, And those results are published within the scientific community by the academic researchers. And then they're pulled into the golf community and distributed through our educational programs and green section record. Um, We have, uh, in the last couple of years, expanded our work a little bit more with the University of Minnesota um, to try to become a little broader in the types of topics that we're working on. So Minnesota's Mm -hmm. got a great turf grass program, um, but they also have a golf course, a university-owned golf course that's had challenges. I'm going to just call them sustainability challenges. Uh, Mm -hmm. both economic um, and environmental and just sort of social, the quality of the experience they were providing for their customers. And the university started to say, well, what if we use that golf course not just as a recreational amenity for our students, but actually as a laboratory (laughs) um, and a tool? Yep. And so how do you, uh, and, and, and we've done some interesting things, um, with the University of Minnesota. I think the, the best thing we're working on, um, right now is a natural capital, um, resource program, Mm -hmm. uh, where we're trying to understand the economic value of a golf course to the community that it serves. Um, and, uh, NADCAP is co-sponsored with the World Wildlife Fund, um, Stanford University, University of Minnesota, um, and someone's going to kill me because there's another partner <laughs> whose name is going <laughs> to escape me uh, immediately um, that's been helping us out with this particular program. Um, and we're basically saying, look, a golf course delivers true economic value to a golf course beyond simply uh, of an, an economic generator of greens fees or F&B. Right. revenue. Um, the golf course provides uh, value as um, stormwater containment. Sure. Um, and so there's an economic value. If that water was going into a water uh, management system, into a city's sort of sewer system and management system, there's an economic cost. But if that can be channeled and retained on the golf course and the golf course can use it, it provides economic value. Um, golf courses are important habitats for pollinators.
1: Um, sure. We all know what's well, happening like, with a yeah. crash
0: in, in pollinator communities. Mm-hmm. There is an economic value to the pollinator habitat um, that it provides for local agricultural, for local farms and local agriculture. Um, can we quantify that? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're developing a model and it's, you know, I guess it's supposed in some ways it's akin to the, to the facility tool. We're looking at a map of the golf course and trying to figure out all the ways that it delivers, um, delivers value, quantifying right. that golf courses are heat sinks. A golf course is typically three to four degrees cooler than the surrounding environment. Um, so it provides cooling value in the hot summer months. That's a reduction for the immediate neighbors. It could be a reduction in their air conditioning bills, sure. right? So let's think in a more sophisticated and nuanced way about the value that golf course is providing its community. So as, it, as community leaders think about the presence of that golf course in the community, they think about um, the resources it does consume, Mm -hmm. how much water they want to allocate, how much you know, sort of incentive can they provide and support in that golf course operation? Or if it's a, if it's a town or true municipal golf course owned by the town or a county, Mm -hmm. um, do they want to, is it okay to operate that at something of an operating loss because it's delivering economic value outside of what it's generating again, just in greens fees.
1: Sure. Um, Well, there's also, uh, I would imagine property value, uh, implications too. your homes around a real nice golf course that, you know, increases the property value. That's an input. It's really true. Absolutely true.
0: Absolutely. So, so that's an interesting, and that, that is, uh, I'd say a great extension of the concept of the university partnership, where we can take it outside of, uh, the traditional work that we would usually do and, and do some broader things. So we're going to continue to explore those university partnerships and, and find some other opportunities.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by Cascade Environmental, the only field services contractor with the personnel and equipment needed to work with you from project conception to completion. If you are looking for a groundwater production well installed to support your golf course irrigation system or other environmentally challenging project, look no further. Cascade has 37 offices across the country and offer a huge range of environmental or geotechnical drilling, site characterization and remediation services. Thanks to their technical expertise, a huge fleet of equipment, and nationwide coverage, Cascade is a great choice to support your environmental, infrastructure, or golf course groundwater production well irrigation project needs. So to learn more, check them out at www.cascade-env.com. That's www.cascade-env.com. So it seems like um, the biggest environmental cost to a golf course is sounds like water. Yeah, hmm. I may be wrong, but water seems like one. Of, if and if it's not that, you know, what is it? And then how can it be reduced? You know, what's yep. that cost?
0: Yeah. it's So it's water. It's all yeah. issues water. And I'll say water consumption and water quality are the two that we're going to focus on the most. Mm-hmm. So water consumption is literally, can we reduce the amount of irrigated water that's putting on in that golf course and still provide mm-hmm. a greater, a greater? And then quality issues become... Um, you know, I, 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 look, I think we can be honest enough and fair enough to know and understand that golf courses historically, and if we go back 30, 40, 50 years, we weren't putting great stuff on golf courses. We were putting lots mm-hmm. of it on that golf course. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it was surface waters that were being contaminated or groundwaters co- being contaminated, um, the golf industry created some problems. Um, fortunately, you know, 50 years later, science, um, best practices, really good education has has improved that to the point where um, golf courses actually offer significant benefits. Um, surface waters entering a golf course. Uh, are dirtier than when they leave that golf course, right? The golf course becomes a natural, it's a biofilter that's helping clean those surface waters, right? Those things are important. Um, So let me get back to your question, but I want to frame sort of the two issues or opportunities that are there. Um, On the consumption side, um, I think there's some important things that are happening. Um, You know, there's our tool that we're creating that helps you understand sort of areas of turf that are being maintained that you can take out of play. Um, Mm -hmm. There's real advances in soil moisture sensors that are happening, and we're looking to integrate those soil moisture centers into our sensors, into uh, that type of technology, into our golf course digital map. Um, But uh, the research is showing that uh, at different times of the year, depending on the grass's productivity, it requires more or less water. Historically, superintendents have simply tried to maintain a certain moisture level in the soil that they think is ideal. They do that year-round. We now understand that there are ebbs and flows to that need to apply irrigated water or maintain moisture levels. Um, we can get much more nuanced in our um, application of water. Um, new irrigation systems that are being installed at golf courses are, now have controls to the individual sprinkler head. Mm. Um, it used to be you turned on the water for the whole valve, golf course and, and you to right yeah. off the whole section go goes sprint. off <laughs> exactly four <laughs> holes are suddenly going at once whether they need water or not and a golf yeah. course depending on a very locally may have dry spots may have wet spots you don't need to be irrigating if you can understand in a sophisticated way how your golf course reacts and your irrigation system allows you to apply water where you need it and you don't need it you become a much more efficient user of water
1: i got i got to imagine though the uh, the infrastructure cost to really redesign a more appropriate irrigation system is kind of a salty pill for some of these golf courses to, you know, absorb right away, you know, because yep. they, they realize it's, it's the water consumption that they want to reduce, but they also realize the infrastructure cost to make, you know, to achieve that is going to right. be a lot. Right. Yep. And are there incentives for these golf courses to do, you know, that the USGA can provide or, or you know, to, to help them achieve that and Im- implement these types of irrigation tools? Yeah.
0: Um, you know, what we can do is demonstrate ROI for them, okay. um, it, you know, the, the ROI, so we don't have a mechanism right now. Um, maybe someday we just relaunched the USGA's Foundation um, about two years ago. And one of the places we would like to do some fundraising and hopefully be able to invest is in exactly in opportunities like this to help provide grants at the golf course level. Mm -hmm. Um, We just don't have the funding mechanism or the oversight mechanism in place right now to help 15,000 facilities that way. Maybe we'll get there someday, but, um, but our educational tools, our information, our data can really demonstrate strong ROI for them. And I think what you, you know, what I would say to your question is, there was a lot of golf course building in the 1980s, 1990s. Um, all those golf courses are infrastructures approaching 25, 30 years old. It's probably mm-hmm. reached the end of its useful life. It's going to have to be replaced anyway. Um, we can help them through that process, and we'll do a lot of that. Helping them through the process of choosing the right equipment, designing an irrigation system the right way, finding the right partners that can help them put in a much more environmentally responsible um, irrigation system. Yeah. That said, there's, there are low-cost solutions. And this is another sort of interesting piece of research that's come out of the golf sort of facility app. Um, at the, you can you can make a change at the level of the individual sprinkler head. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of golf courses, the throw on that sprinkler head is is covering an area of turf that's much broader than. So let's take that T uh, that you want to irrigate because it's important for you that you can get the T in the ground. It's not rock <laughs> solid. There's grass on it. Um <laughs> old sprinkler heads that, you know, went in a circle are irrigating that T surface, but they're also irrigating everything else, 270 yeah. degrees that they don't need to be irrigating. Sure. Give me a new sprinkler head. That's got a confined throw to it. I'm irrigating just that T top surface yep. Yep. and I'm saving money. You know, we, we went, we <laughs> went to a golf course in Texas, we mapped their irrigation heads. They were irrigating the, the neighboring roadways. Yeah. Uh, right. They're throwing water on asphalt of the road that goes by all they need to do is change their sprinkler heads. Um, See, that's, that's
1: great. That's, that's exact, that's a perfect example of, you know, mm -hmm. environmental sustainability and reducing your, you know, your cost of water and and use of, that's great. I love that. And,
0: and, and that kind of just change the sprinkler head is not a high cost uh, value, you know, high cost investment for that golf course. And they're going to generate immediate savings. And sometimes they just need someone, an outside independent third party to come in to ask those questions. To map that golf course and its operation for them to find those opportunities where, where they can improve what they're doing. Sure. So that, you know, that there's your consumption. Oh, and maybe one other point on consumption side, new turf grasses. Turf grasses oh, yeah. that have been developed in the last 10 or 20 years that are, that are, that, and, and there's been breeding for um, uh, drought resistance and uh, low growth rates. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should touch on that. What's the what's coming next in, in turf grass? But let me, for people who might not understand, um, these turf grass breeding programs. Um, what they do, what these professors and their graduate students do in the summer, they they'll go to the Alps, they'll go to mountain regions around the world, they'll just literally look for unique grasses that have been created naturally, Mm -hmm. um, natural process of evolution. Um, They look for unique characteristics in those turf grasses. They bring them back, they breed them, they test them on plots, um, and they can start to see different qualities in different types of grasses and say, okay, here's, here's a grass from, you know, the Austrian Alps that's actually behaving in a really interesting way. It's showing disease resistance, it's it's showing drought tolerance. Um, Can we develop this and breed it in such a way that it could be deployed on a lot on large scale Mm -hmm. um, and help us use a lot less water? Where this is going, which is really interesting, we think the next stage is going to be looking at a family of grasses we call buffalo grasses, Mm -hmm. Um, really common in the West, in the Rockies. Um, There are grasses that we know provide a good enough playing surface, need to be watered twice a year and mown oh twice gosh. a year. Wow. Watered twice a year and mown twice a year. Wow. Um, we can grow it on a one by one meter test plot mm-hmm. and it's fabulous, but it's not productive enough, meaning it's not producing enough seed head to oh, make it viable great. that you could that you could put it across 50 acres of a golf course.
1: No problem. Um,
0: So, can the breeding programs work and preserve those really good properties, but increase productivity of the seed head Mm -hmm. to create a product that would be really helpful? You're going to drive some real changes in water consumption if you can change the grass types. Golf courses will have, yeah, golf courses that were built in 1910 have turf grass that's 110 years old. That plant, that biomass that keeps regenerating new blades of grass every year, that's fundamentally a plant that's a hundred plus years old. Sure. We have new grasses and and a golf course, we're working with golf courses now to replace just their grasses. Um, it's a sort of half year process to do it. You can keep half the golf course in play, um, allow your customers to have somebody continue to play. But the, the ROI investment on it, it's like two and a half years. Um, to recover the cost in terms of your resource savings.
1: Well, so what's the, uh, what's the response of, you know, say the normal municipal golf course. I mean, we've got lots of municipal golf courses across the country, you know, Mm -hmm. the average golfer. I mean, what is the response from those uh, companies, those individual owners in, you know, reaching out and saying, look, I need help from USGA to, to uh, you know, improve my operations. Do you get pushback or do you get a lot of, you know, interest or, you, you know, how do, how do you engage them and, and is, it, is it something that's really happening where they, they really want and seek this type of stuff?
0: They are very interested in the information. So the sort of municipal golf course, the city-owned golf course or the county-owned golf course presents some unique challenges. Mm-hmm. You've got operators, you've got the superintendent at the very local level who really understands where the opportunities are, where the challenges are, how they could be better. And I think the desires always strongly there. But mm-hmm. then government comes into play right <laughs> there's layers of there's layers of bureaucracy yeah. they're not always right. the decision maker Right. And there could be someone at a different level in a parks department and, you know, parks and recs, uh, the Mm -hmm. department that is simply looking at the situation and saying, look, I I can't give you more money to do this, or I can't give you, um, you know, you need to push as many golfers across your property as you possibly can, Mm -hmm. creates bottlenecks and pace of play problems. And the experience isn't really good, but boy, you know, they don't understand the issues. They're just driving play. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're, in the process of really rethinking how we can reach and educate decision makers. Mm -hmm. It's the superintendent who's making the choice. A lot of, in a lot of cases, they are professionally trained. They've got a college degree in what they're doing. They're very well-intentioned individuals. They're just not empowered. So we're uh, trying to reimagine our programs. We had a, a program Uh, earlier in in the year, um, Mm -hmm. while we could still travel um, and get together in a room, we got together golf course uh, owners and operators in Southern California, public golf courses,
1: and -hmm. had a one-day
0: forum, um, and invited not just the superintendent, but the decision-maker and the administrator to start to talk about the challenges and the opportunities that are there. We're going to be looking to do more of that, um, to expand the audience of who we're talking to and who we're educating, um, so that you've got a community of decision-makers that are collectively working, Uh, to deploy best practices to come up with a solution that they can all support and work with the right way. Um, And then hopefully if they, they see and understand that that facility is being maintained in a responsible way, they're willing to allocate money, they're willing to make an investment into some of these infrastructure changes that ultimately are going to be responsible to drive the biggest change. And right, look, no, there, there are communities who are doing this. They're doing it really effectively. And that's the final piece of this is telling those stories, elevating them, sharing their best practices. Yeah. showcasing them. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I, I think you mentioned the, the, the ROI, you know, conversation. I mean, once they kind of understand that, I think they're going to, they'll move off center. They'll realize they need to kind of, you know, make a change, but that's great. Um, so uh, you know, one one thing I saw recently on, on your website uh, recently was the uh, USGA's commitment to climate change. Talk a little bit about your 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 organization's commitment and the signatory uh, uh, requirements for the United Nations Sports uh, for Climate Action Initiative. For Climate Action Initiative, yeah. (laughs) Really
0: really interesting program um, that the UN has developed um, to encourage sharing of knowledge, expertise, and best practices across the sports community. Mm -hmm. Um, Sports play, uh, you know, I think a really interesting role um, in in our society, certainly in American society, um, very visible, these sort of massive consumer products, consumer entertainment experiences. Uh, people are emotionally invested in the teams that they follow. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, from a, from a pure marketing perspective, the UN has come to understand um, that if the sports community collectively is uh, raising awareness on climate challenges and climate opportunities, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be a great way to reach uh, a mass market with really important messages. Um, And so the UN's been looking for uh, organizations, and in some cases, their leagues, in some cases, their teams, um, in some cases, their national governing bodies like the USGA um, that share a commitment to, that share a concern about what's happening with our climate um, and are sharing, um, making investments um, uh, to address some of those climate issues. Um, for us, uh, you know, I think we're in a little bit different place, you know, for some sports, you um, Uh, it really, uh, you know, there are opportunities in and around the spectator experience. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the fan, the fan experience is kind of what I'm thinking about, right? Plastics, plastic consumption, um, for F and B, you know, in a stadium of 80,000 people, um, uh, We operate in a slightly different space um, in that the work of the organization for 100 years has been directly invested in reducing the consumption of resources in the playing surface. Mm -hmm. Um, We're impacting playing surfaces rather than the consumer fan experience that surrounds the sport. Um, And I think, you know, for the for the folks at the UN who are leading this, um, when we expressed an interest, I think um, they were very eager to get us involved. Um, primarily, and, and there's a couple different uh, parts of the initiative, a couple different working groups. Um, they've asked us to be a, a leader and a voice um, mm-hmm. in this real, uh, in the applied space. Um, so, not in the marketing space. It's not about you know carbon offsets and um, you know buying credits, um, right. which which some you know for some teams that's a really important way they can demonstrate their climate commitment because they don't have that ability to fundamentally change a, a stadium and its infrastructure. Right. We operate in a very different way, and. The technology that we develop, the turf grasses we develop, the tools we develop—again, they're applicable on any playing surface where grass is grown. Um, that's an awful lot of sports and a lot, an awful lot of playing fields around the world. So we're going to bring that. Uh, that's our um, primary contribution to the effort: um, is bringing our knowledge and expertise that we've gained through our turf grass and environmental research programs, and showing and demonstrating ways that it can apply broadly across other sports and other
1: landscapes. Do you guys have an app that you use that a course operator could use to track water consumption that you guys can measure over time for various courses throughout the country and based on the implemented, you know, best manager practices can track the, you know, the impact of your Mm -hmm. efforts is there anything that you guys do in that space?
0: Yeah, So n- not yet, but we're getting there. I love um, that idea. The, the, <laughs> the, facility, yeah, the facility tool is going to be the way to do it. And the way to do it really is to partner with the irrigation companies. Okay. Um, so um, Toro, uh, yeah. Rainbird, Bird, you know, deer, uh, the, the irrigation companies, Uh, their centralized computer systems are collecting that data and reporting it at the individual facility level. Um, We're in conversations with them, with that community right now, uh, about sort of being able to leverage their data, aggregate their data, Mm -hmm. um, and be able to create some industry reports on a broad level. So if they can, they can report at the facility level, we'll be able to, do a representative sampling, different regions, different types of golf courses, different budgets of golf courses, all that influences how much water they're using. Um, We'll be able to report that. We've done it historically. We started uh, about 12 years ago in partnership with the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. They're based in Lawrence, Kansas. They're really important partners of ours. Mm -hmm. Um, We started to do what we call the environmental profile series. Um, And so this was reported data. We Mm -hmm. went to facilities with a research tool, um, a paper research tool, and we asked them to report on. So there was a GCSAA profile on water consumption, on energy consumption, on nutrient consumption, on pesticide, and herbicide, fungicide consumption, and on energy consumption. So we established a baseline uh, about 12 years ago. About five years ago, we redid that Mm -hmm. um, so we could see the impact. I mean, really good stories there. In a decade, the golf industry had reduced its consumption of water by 22 percent. It had reduced its consumption of some key uh, nutrients, so fertilizers, phosphorus, um, nitrogen, um, which that's where you present the problems for uh, water quality, reduced some of those consumptions by 40 percent on the nutrient side. Um, So we were able to see and understand that our educational programs and the tools that we were developing were helpful but when you do that survey, sort of every 10 years, it's probably not the frequency we're looking for. Really so measure. we're, yeah. we're hoping through partnerships with, uh, irrigation suppliers, and maybe it's even nutrient suppliers too, right? They understand how much product they're selling and delivering selling. to their clients. So like
1: Scots and people like that, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. So
0: if we can aggregate that data um again sample and and sort of aggregate geographically um, we can probably get a good annual picture of the types of progress we're making things will swing because of changes in weather patterns um can change pretty radically how much water you're using so year to year might not be the best data because you'll see a whole lot of noise in those trend lines but if we look at it over 10 years well we understand um, how the industry is improving. And, and that's, you know, sort of our goal. We put a challenge statement out to the industry in 2017 at our, our innovation symposium in Vancouver, Canada. And we said, look, w- you know, our, our goal is to reduce critical resource consumption by 25 percent by 2025. Let's all work together to do that. Try to, try to achieve to, that goal. Yeah, try yeah. to achieve that. And, um, you know, we know the progress that we were able to make over, over the first 10 year span between the um, environmental profiles, uh, profile reports. Um, we're continuing to work and plug away there. I'd love for us to have better kind of real-time data, mm-hmm. uh, but we're, we're going to do that through partnerships and and we're having those conversations now.
1: That's great. No, that's exciting. Um, how how does the USGA get involved or encourage or, you know, maybe new golf course designs to incorporate, uh, you know, sustainable you know, yep. aspects to these design? You know, are you involved with that?
0: Um, the American Society of Golf Course Architects is a really important partners of ours. Um, mm-hmm. And they're actually really um, those guys are at the forefront of this. Um mm-hmm whatever it is in the DNA of a golf course architect, um, a lot of these guys care deeply about these issues. And so they work very closely with our green section. Um, What's interesting about that facility tool, I described it as a what-if, there are actually architects who are now using it before they build a golf course. Um, So they are using our tool as they start to map and design Mm -hmm. um, based on you know, kind of regional data. They can input and they can understand what it means for resource consumption. Um, and they can actually modify their designs before they go and put it out, actually construct that golf course. So, we can inform and we do inform their planning process. Again, we've done it mostly education in the past, um, but um, we can do that. We can do that more in the future um, through technology, we hope. Um, but uh, that, that community is very receptive to these issues. They've actually uh, in, uh, let's say two years ago, they put out a new tool of their own uh, It's called the Golf Course of the Future, and it's mm-hmm. on their uh, website. And you can go in and it's sort of a hypothetical golf course, um, but it will share uh, best practices and opportunities for everything from lighting design. Um, If we're going to worry about light pollution and and dark sky uh, opportunities on the golf course, to irrigation system selections, to better materials for cart paths because they're permeable asphalts Mm -hmm. um, that reduce runoff, Um, they've got a terrific tool. So I'd say our research and our expertise informs a lot of their design work, Um, and we're really proud to call them partners on, on, on a lot of different fronts. I think the... Biggest thing that we can probably do, and you know, where the most innovation could happen in the game is actually just reimagining the surface on which the game is played. Sure. Does a golf course need to be 18 holes? Can it be 12 holes and on a smaller footprint? Could it be a six hole golf course and still provide a great experience? Because the consumer looking for something different, but does every golf course need to sit on 150 acres and use that much resource? Yeah, um, if we can redefine the playing surface, put it on a smaller footprint, bring some of those smaller footprints into urban areas where green space is desperately needed or where there's opportunities um, to reimagine and reinvent damaged landscapes. Um, We think that we can deliver both great golf experience, but also real value value
1: to the communities in which those reimagined golf courses sit i uh, like that yeah i um i think you, you guys are doing such a great job over there uh with the usga and, and and all the uh innovative ideas you guys are putting together and just the support of the golf community it's fantastic and i really appreciate you coming onto the show today rand and, and just uh really uh you know it's been an honor i know you're hugely uh, invested in in the usga and uh thank you for your leadership there i'm a you know huge golfer as i mentioned And I love to, you know, get out and play. I just uh, came back from a nice little men's weekend uh, down at the Hot Springs, um, Arkansas, (laughs) the Villages down there. I don't know if you've ever played the Villages in Hot Springs, but to really enjoy that location. They had nine golf courses in a gated community. It's a lot of fun. I Um, have
0: not been down there, but one of, I mentioned the GCSA earlier, one of their recent past presidents is a superintendent down there and has done great things, um, from the environmental perspective with that golf course and, uh, and helping implement some real responsible practices. So really neat. Uh, place.
1: Fantastic. Well, you know, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'm just a huge fan of the golf and you guys and what you're doing. And of course, um, boy, this season's been a little interesting, hasn't it? For, uh, (laughs) <laughs> golf. It sure so it her has
0: been. Yeah, Sean. Thanks for th- so thanks for a chance to talk about what we've doing, and thanks for the distraction. Um, it's been an it's been an upside down uh, year for the USGA, but you know, interesting, great year for golf, right? Golf participation's yeah. up. It's one of those things that you can do in a in a socially distanced way um, that's naturally. safe. Yeah, yeah. it's an outdoor environment, and we've fortunately for the game, we've seen some real surge in interest in in play. Um, through it. the summer and and hope that we can continue that into the future the game offers such rich rewards to, for people yeah. um, and and look then now that you know there's there's a, a long arc of a story here now that golf courses have really understood and embraced the role that they can play in healthier environments um, the role that they can uh, hopefully play in climate change um, we're going to continue to invest we're going to continue to work really hard in these areas you know people like you that help us tell the story but also that push and challenge. Um, mm-hmm. the, 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 owners and operators where they play, this is what's going to drive change for our community. It's going to take a, a c- continued community investment in these interests, education, uh, about the opportunities and will drive change. We, we are Love it. Uh, confident that we can deliver. Love it. No, this, this has been,
1: this has been great. Rand, keep, you know, keep doing the great work you're doing. I really appreciate thanks, the opportunity again. We'll talk to you soon, hopefully.
0: Very good. Sean, thanks so much.
1: You bet. Man, that was such a great podcast today. I want to thank Dr. Rand Jaris for coming onto the show today. If you have questions about the USGA's environmental and sustainability programs, please feel free to reach out and contact Rand via LinkedIn or visit their website at www.usga.org. We'll also put a link to his contact information on my website to listen to future environmental transformation podcasts. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, or other podcast networks or from my website at www.SeanKGrady.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. We also would love to hear some feedback from the ET nation and any topics or suggestions you'd like to see for future episodes. So thanks for listening and until next time, make a positive impact in someone's life today.